When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, and George Belshaw of Metro.co.uk. Let's start with some Davis Cup, shall we, George? You've, you're fresh from Glasgow, although fresh maybe isn't the word, given your extracurricular activities on various nights in Scotland. Um, first of all, how do you find a stadium, specifically? <laughs> yes, not my finest moment in sports journalism, actually. I, I'll tell you what it was. The SSE... George got lost, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and so lost, they ended up at the wrong stadium. It's a good job I was about four or five hours early from where I needed to be. Um, so I showed... Two good le- two one good lesson, one not so good lesson. One was be very punctual, the other one check where you're going. Right. Um, but of course my confusion stemmed from Andy Murray Live, where they do that <laughs> SSE a hydro. Okay. And I've not been up to Glasgow in the Davis Cup and I just thought, Oh, surely they put both sets of tennis on in the same place. They only need one court. No, they do not. It was right. the Emirates Arena. That's not the same thing. So How long did it learned. take you to get between the two? <clears throat> Not too long because uh, I just hopped in an Uber, oh, so right, I was, okay. it, it was a ten-minute delay, All and right. it was nice seeing the SSE Hydro. It looks lovely from the outside. <laughs> okay, well, glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Let's talk about the tennis itself. Uh, once you finally made it there, uh, we didn't expect Team GB to have a huge number of problems with Uzbekistan, given their limited record and reputation in tennis. They did. What on earth happened? I think. We would have said Dennis Isterman was the big threat for Uzbekistan. He mm. lost his singles match to Dan Evans, who was absolutely superb, to be honest. He played a really great match, and that was a really nice kind of story. Him kind of back from the brink, back in the fold, etc., um, and coming through that match. Um, and then you're just thinking, right, Cam Norrie's going to win this singles match so easily against Karimov. You know, one of these guys, we had no idea who it was. I still don't have much of an idea, having watched him uh kind of what sort of level he's at and he just somehow threw away a two set lead and a break and a match point in set three and it just became this ridiculously long night and i'll tell you one thing we had a a media drinks booked for that friday night and we were all arranging the transport to go to it that night 
uh, when Cam Norrie was two sets up and a break up and you're all just thinking, right, we're done here. And just the penny started dropping every moment it started going wrong from that point. It's like, oh, all right, we might be here for an extra half an hour, extra 45 minutes. Three hours after the time we started booking these transports, we were out of that stadium. So it was, it was a bit of a shame, really, from that perspective. It seems atypical of Cam Norrie to sort of throw away that sort of lead. He, he always strikes me a relatively unflappable chap. What what actually happened from a technical perspective? Yeah, I mean, I I was quite critical of him in terms of the tactical match. I think, like, the first two sets, the guy who was playing uh, looked a bit kind of flapped, missed a lot of balls, uh, looked a bit kind of nervy. Um, and... Norrie didn't really adapt when the other guy had settled in and started hitting the lines. And I think he kept trying to play the same way he did in the first two sets, which wasn't actually him doing much to win the match. It was more his opponent losing it. Then it got to the stage where he just never really changed his tactics. And it, it just became quite inevitable, really. Um, so disappointing from his side. A real setback for a guy who we, we've sort of looked at as someone who can go quite far. You know, he's got he's left-handed, always an advantage. He, he's been through the american college system he's someone who we i think we really think can be a top what 20 top 30 player yeah i i think top 30 is certainly doable you know it gets harder per 10 from there i think you can get quite a lot of random results to get up to a, a top 30 or it doesn't take masses to do that just one like really big run at a slam for example mm. um you know i there was a lot of credit to him and i think after that obviously he beat an opponent he should beat on the Sunday as well but in his press conference after that defeat you know that would crush a lot of guys he didn't show too much emotion he seemed quite as you said unflappable he seems very kind of I suspect this is more the New Zealandish in him rather than the Scot uh, <laughs> but just looked quite kind of unemotionally shaky and kept himself pretty focused on the task at hand and I I think he showed a lot of maturity actually so maybe it's a good sign in the future he's still young he's going to have old results like this but if he's getting over them and coming back and looking fine then I, I think we can be pretty encouraged from that perspective yeah uh, and a word about Dan Evans I mean as as we all know he was handed a ban for um, you know in competition positive test for cocaine the ins and outs of that case we've rehearsed many times on this on this podcast but crucially, he's back to what we think he does best, which is playing tennis and, and looked pretty good over the weekend. Yeah, that was weirdly only his second full five set victory in his career. Wow. And the first one in six years. <laughs> so, you know, this sort of result wasn't even that typical for him uh, before the ban. Yeah. So I think, it, you know, it looked from his perspective like just the biggest win he'd had for a long time it's the first time i've seen him that sort of emotional on court looking mm. like he was gonna cry i mean there might have been the odd tear shed but he's you know he's a he's a brummy born lad we don't <laughs> show too much emotion from that perspective <laughs> uh but about as much as he could um, how big a turning point is this for him do you think do you think this is actually the sign that he is if not as good as he was before his time off enforced of course or is he better is he developed as a player do you think yeah it's a good question i mean i i don't think he is playing at, as a top 40 player right now. Mm. Um, I think he's playing, he played comfortably like a top 100 player, probably close to top 50. Um, but he said himself, you know, when you don't have that much match play for a long time, it takes a while to kind of get it back, get it as sharp as it should be. But the, he's got a lot of matches under his belt over, un, over this summer, and he's already not far away from kind of qualifying for Grand Slam's kind of qualification. Um, so. 
I, I think that ranking or shoot up is definitely better than most people out there in the top 200. Yeah. No reason he can't get top 100. And as I said, with Norrie from there, uh, the world's your oyster, really. But I, I've got a sneaking suspicion he's going to actually uh, go back above that ranking mm. after a couple of years. And of course, uh, Dom Inglet and Jamie Murray um, came from a set down to win in the doubles on Saturday. Yeah, it I was mean, awkward for a bit again, that, weirdly. <laughs> well, um, we, we sort of expect Jamie Murray to do the business in doubles almost no matter who he's with these days. Yeah, it was it was worrying for a wee while. I think once... It's, it's funny in the Davis Cup, you know, if you have a result like Norrie losing, it just mm. suddenly kind of spurs on the rest of the team uh, yeah. this unfancy, unfancied Uzbeki team just suddenly kind of believed oh we're going to win this well um, fortunately perhaps from a GB perspective they didn't yeah. we managed a 3-1 win didn't have to go through the silliness of a fifth rubber as well which I think would be pretty one-sided anyway look what does this all mean? That's what we really want to know yes, because we don't what, really what we've done is preserved, <laughs> we've preserved our place in the world group for a competition that will not have a world group next year so t- tell me in layman's terms, simply and in short words, what the, the Davis Cup next year looks like. I don't think I have any long words in my vocabulary, no, so that should true. be okay. I've never heard you use one, or write <laughs> one for that matter. Um, so, what we have right now, we are in the qualification stage for this these finals next year this week-long final we're gonna have world cup of tennis cup of tennis exactly so there are going to be 24 teams in this qualification process 18 teams at the end four teams have already qualified the four davis cup semi-finalists so that's croatia france spain and the u.s yeah well done very quickly reeled off thank you very much have wikipedia right in front of me (laughs) then we've got two more teams who are going to be handed wild cards Mm. And we'll come on to them in a minute, but let's just say six are going to be handed a spot there already without this qualification. And we're going to find out those wild cards next week. Yes. Now, Britain, assuming they don't get a wild card, which they might, but I suspect not, they will have to play this qualification match. Now, what we achieved by beating Uzbekistan was we guaranteed being seeded for this qualification match. So, in theory now, we play a team who's quite weak but that doesn't always pan out that way and you know australia for example are one of the unseeded teams switzerland are another um although i suspect they will be one recipient of a wild card there's no way the davis cup can risk having a world cup of tennis without roger federer yeah i mean can you just imagine if either serbia or great britain draw switzerland in that qualifier and you have a case where you've got Djokovic or Murray taking out Federer and Vavrinka. Or Germany, and you have Alexander Zverev. Exactly. You know, there's, exactly. there's too many risks for, for the brand. Exactly. So I think Switzerland are pretty nailed on. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I presume Britain will win that match. I mean... Well, you have to remember so. that, yes, they could come up against Russia, who are half decent. But also, they could draw Brazil, India... Uh, Uzbekistan again. <laughs> yeah. you know. We'd have to go away to Uzbekistan, and who knows what the atmosphere <laughs> well, would be like there. Be, you know, it'll be a cold Wednesday night as well. I love, I love their national anthem. Actually, it was really good. <laughs> okay, yeah, I I can assume what it is. <laughs> it was good. Uh, yeah, so it might not be as straightforward as we think, but assuming we do qualify, then we're in a what an eighteen-team week-long World Cup. Yeah, and in I've... Madrid. Right? Pretty, yeah, pretty certain it's Madrid. Okay. Lille's the other option, but it looks set to be Madrid. And I've I've bored many of my Twitter followers this week trying to work out the logistics of this event, which I, w- I won't go too mad in it right now, but it, you've got 54 matches that have to be completed on the first four days. They're saying they're going to do it just on three courts, which I think is going to be quite tight. Logistically, that already, t- it just without doing the math, that sounds difficult. Yeah, so I... I 
basically I reckon you're going to need to do four ties okay. per day and then six on one day if you were going to have it uh, as a kind of last it. big day where everyone on the group plays to qualify. So you, you'll need a day and a night session. And of course, the problem with that is in a normal scenario, when you're buying one set of tickets for a whole day, that's not such a big problem. Mm. But it, it is possible for these matches to, say, go nine hours, like a three-hour singles, a four-hour singles, and a two-hour doubles, for yeah. example. Um, they are best of three rubbers, not best of five. They are best of three. But, you know, if the court speed's wrong, for example, and it ends up being Djokovic versus Nadal, it's not beyond the realms of you know, possibility for that sort of thing to happen. Now, the problem with that is, you, you, I think you need to have said what where the second match is going to be before they're played. Mm. Because you want to be having fans from their countries in the stadium. So you want the fans to be changing over, I think, yeah. or at least a section of the fans. And that's going to add another kind of uh, practical problem uh, to organising it. So I, you know, I think they've got a few things to iron out. They're saying they're going to let us know what the format's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if they made it a 10-day thing. Mm. That's my prediction because i think it's going to be a bit difficult but they probably know better than me and have thought more on it than in a glasgow airport all right we've talked about the difficulties of the format of the davis cup final and exactly the fact that we don't know any of that we also don't know exactly when it's going to be happening which i believe is creating some consternation with tennis's many different governing bodies george (laughs) please illuminate us yeah it's always a lot of fun in tennis because no one knows what's going on uh, even or the guys that organised it yeah quite so Gerard Piquet kind of put a few cat, uh, cats among the pigeons sorry that's uh, Barcelona centre back Gerard Piquet yes okay. and also pretty much uh, de facto chief of the Davis Cup I'd say <laughs> which is all a bit weird to get used to they've kind of joked that uh, Rafael Nadal is going to become Real Madrid's president as a bit of a tit for tat so I think that would be quite Never. fun so Gerard Piquet's Davis Cup as we call it back Cosmos backs big kind of Asian they've paid three billion or whatever to fund this thing so it's got a lot of money mm. they've basically said look we want to keep the players happy and we want them to all play obviously um, because it's not really a product if you can't guarantee having you know Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray all the top guys so he mentioned the possibility of it moving to September now the problem with that would be Come straight into the wheelhouse of the Labour Cup, right? Absolutely. So you've got this Davis Cup weekend we just had, and then you've got this weekend that's the Labour Cup. There's so, no way. There's no way players are going to play both of them. But it realistically, well, I think they'd have to cross over the tournaments because it's week long rather than a weekend. Mm. This yeah. final. So uh, yeah. So you're kind of running into this thing. Two big money led organisations, neither of which offer anything to the regular ATP tour. So the ATP tour won't care really which one of these things kills each other i suppose i mean i imagine the tennis purists would be key more keen for the davis cup to stay i would have thought the atp are desperate for these two to schedule themselves against each other because one competitor is a lot better than two competitors yeah and of course the previous scheduling problem was you were going to have uh the new davis cup at the end of the season which is obviously going to be problematic when you look at how guys finish physically at an end of a season Mm. and then five weeks later be expected to come back and play the ATP Team Cup that's starting then as well. The The third third. team competition in this Uh, because realistically two just wasn't enough. (laughs) And there's talk of perhaps a fourth competition, a mixed competition. Oh, for goodness sake. (laughs) But isn't this solving a problem that tennis doesn't have? 
I mean, there's a there's a lot to be kind of said. What is solve? What needs solving and what needs changing? I mean, the Davis Cup needed solving in the sense that it wasn't growing. It was not attracting the best players to play. Did it need this radical an alteration? Possibly not. Um, I imagine most ardent tennis fans are pretty upset that it is going this way. I happen to think if they get this event right, it could be quite fun. Which event? The the Davis Cup. The Davis 2. Cup. 0. Davis yeah. Cup 2.0. Um, I think the Labour Cup is also quite fun. Um, Look, we saw last year in Prague, we saw Federer and Nadal play doubles together in a legitimately competitive environment. That is most tennis fans' wet dream. <laughs> and it was it was an unbelievable scene. Uh, the black courts notwithstanding, that was weird. So some the Labour Cup. That. Well, some people did. So in Labour Cup terms, that appears to be in capital letters a good thing. If the Davis Cup final works, look, I just you're right. The November date, we see Rafa Nadal pull out of every tournament after July anyway, barring the U.S. Open, pretty much. We see guys limping to the ATP World Tour finals, where we just sit there and play bingo as to which one's going to pull out next. You know, if we're going to actually have a conversation about having big team tournaments or, you know, era-defining or season-defining tournaments, what we actually need to talk about is how much tennis these guys are playing. Aren't we taking the best generation of tennis players, perhaps ever, and milking them till they're dry before the age of 30? Yep. And, you know, there's other arguments as well about killing off smaller ATP events that offer guys who aren't necessarily Federer, Nadal and Djokovic a decent livelihood i mm. mean you know i can't and not to mention the fact are the are the grassroots tennis that's the stuff you can't get tickets for the us open you can't get tickets for wimbledon but you can go to eastbourne you can go to surbiton you can go to birmingham they're the tournaments that actually get people into tennis aren't they yeah you know it's it's all kind of an interesting observation and looking at these big tournaments coming in and the different companies that are piling money in are you really saying any of this is going to be going back to you know, grassroots up tennis or is it just another way to line the pockets of the very, very top guys? I mean, the Labour Cup this weekend, interestingly, Chris Commode, the ATP um, chief, he's supposed to be going there, which leaves to the uh, notion that maybe the ATP tour is going to try and get the Labour Cup as a competition within it. Mm. I'm not really sure how that would work. I mean, if you start giving out ATP points for this stuff, it changes everything. Players will go. Yeah. You know, if you build it, they will come essentially with ATP points. And that's what the the team event that they're starting in 2020, that's the big advantage that has. The big advantage Gerard Piquet's thing has, it's three billion. And the Mm. ITF wants, you know, they see it's a big money-making operation and there's a lot of funds to kind of chuck in there. But I, I struggle to see how all three of these events can survive and looking at it right now, the Labour Cup, I think it's quite vulnerable. Mm. And if this weekend isn't that popular, we've seen Del Potro pull out today. You know, Nadal's already not playing. Nadal's not playing. Okay, you've got Djokovic back in there as well, so that's a big boost. But it, imagine if this tournament, this weekend, was a complete whitewash with Europe winning. Um, as it very nearly was last year, when John Isner upset Rafa on the last day, that could have made it a very... If he hadn't managed that... Would have been a very one-sided looking scorecard, yeah. And you know they've already had to make it Team Europe against oh, anyone else, yeah. So it's already a little bit contrived in that sense. And the and the my big question with the Labour Cup is: yes, we love it right now with the really big names there. Is are people going to be that bothered when Roger Federer is not there? 
if you know okay you might have a first year like Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer as captains like mm. Borg and McEnroe but are they going to get all these players they want there if there's a competing World Cup event that means representing your country and the financial security of the Davis Cup is matched yeah. to the Labour Cup which I suspect it will be um, so I, I think there's a really really interesting battle developing and I think the Labour Cup's the one that has to prove itself most in many ways. I'm going to make a prediction for you about the 2019 Labour Cup. It's going to be Federer's last professional tournament. Oh, my word. I'm telling you. It's perfect. It's in Switzerland, right? It's in Geneva, I think. He's his brainchild. I think he is coming to the end. I beg your pardon. I thought you said I, I thought you said 2018 first. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that is an outrageous prediction. I, I mean, that would be typical because I am on holiday this weekend and usually <laughs> big things happen when I'm on holiday. Okay, so 2019. Yes. Next year? What do you think, George? <sighs> it's not beyond the realms of possibility. It's never beyond the realms of possibility. I, I think Federer's end will be 2020. I've got a feeling he'll play the Olympics and I've got a feeling he'll be playing such a reduced schedule by then that he'll turn up to like the Slams, the Labour Cup, Basel and the Olympics that year and do a big 2020 swan song. So that's my prediction if I'm going to put my my neck on the line and predict his retirement. 2019 Labour Cup though. As someone more more important than me once said, I'll see you in Geneva. Yeah, this Uh, time next year I'm excited to see how that prediction goes. Well, before we get to Roger Federer's inevitable retirement at the 2019 Labour Cup, as I've now <laughs> predicted and will have to stand by for the next year, let's look at the 2018 Labour Cup coming up this weekend. It's a really exciting tournament. As you've already alluded to, uh, Del Potro has pulled out, which is a shame, and does, as you said, start to make Team World look a little bare. I'll just run you down the teams. It's Anderson Isner, Schwartzman Sock, Kyrgios TFO, representing the world, with John McEnroe captain, of course. And representing Europe, Federer, Djokovic, Zverev, Dimitrov, Goffin, Edmund. If anyone else pulls out of Team World, they might need McEnroe to strip off, I reckon. (laughs) Well, they've got John and Pat, so, you know, they've got two options there. Pat's got a doubles title, hasn't he? I'm sure he's done something. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at the... Even just on world rankings, Europe have got five players in the top 11. Uh, Team World have got two, and it's nine and ten. So... On that alone, you worry a bit. The format, just to remind you, is three singles matches and a doubles match on each day. Uh, The first day, each match is worth one point. Day two, two points. And day three, three points. As if it weren't confusing enough. Everyone has to play singles at least once in the first two days. No doubles combination can be repeated. I almost think at this point you have to forget about the rules and just sit in front of the telly and watch it. (laughs) (laughs) And at some point on Sunday, someone will go, and this is... Lever Cup point. And then you'll know. For all its complications, I like the format because it forces players to play singles and doubles. It it created decent matchups last year. Uh, What's your prediction, first of all? Who do you think it'll go to and by what sort of margin? Yeah, so I mean, as you said, the good thing about the format is it pretty much guarantees something will be happening on the last day, having it weighted that strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really important. And that was something I, I thought might have been one of the changes they introduced to the Davis Cup, uh, if they kept it as a weekend kind of thing. Um, because there were too many times where ties would be finished on a Saturday, like the, the France semi-final this weekend. And that, that you know, it's not a great look when it's 3-0. People have got tickets for a Sunday and it just means a yeah. all. So I think that's a good good way of kind of doing it. My prediction is Europe will win. 
Mm. My prediction is Jack Sock will play a lot of doubles and <laughs> probably win a lot of doubles. I think he's very unimportant in the singles. He'll play a one uh, a one point singles rubber because he's in terrible, terrible form mm. and he wouldn't get in this normally. But for doubles, he's Grand Slam champion this year. He's playing excellent stuff. He looks so amazingly confident in doubles that he's the strongest doubles player there by a distance, I say. And then when you consider you've got big servers, Anderson, Isner, and Nick Kyrgios who can partner him, you've got a fancy team world to be the strongest of the doubles. Mm. We might hope Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer play together, which I, I kind of feel that they have to. I think way. that might have been in the contract <laughs> that, that Federer and Djokovic must play doubles together. Given that the Federer and Nadal thing last year won ATP moment of the year, whatever <laughs> that is, um, I think they will be required to play together at yeah. least once. Well, they can only play so let's hope once. so. So you'd expect Djokovic to win his singles correct? at the minute, unless it's in his contract to lose one of them. No, I'm joking. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, and then... I mean, the rest of them are pretty 50-50, actually. I mean, if you had, like, Schwartzman Edmund, for example, Schwartzman killed Edmund a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but, um, but that would be close. Edmund to win it. And they're all in kind of not great form, like Goffan Dimitrov, Edmund, mm. uh, Schwartzman, uh, TFO, all quite patchy form. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot then. So your top point scorer for Team World is Jack Sock. Which I like on the base. If he wins three doubles, yeah. that's six points, and, you know, he might nick his... Well, I think even if he wins the first doubles and the third doubles and then loses to Federer Djokovic, that's four points, and that probably will be the most anyone on. In the world team, yeah. Certainly last year would have put you there or thereabouts. And what about Team Europe? Your top top performer in Team Europe? I will boo boring selections. Well, I was going to say, it's going to be one of Federer Djokovic. Boo! (laughs) Um, Which one? Djokovic has got to be, doesn't it? I mean, Federer's... If they pick Djokovic for the doubles, Federer might be uh, naughty and refuse to pick Djokovic on the doubles so he can be Europe's top point scorer. <laughs> I think that seems unlikely. <laughs> but uh, this is a team competition. Team game, Josh. yeah. So I think I think Federer and Djokovic might both have the same number of points. They mm. might both play singles and doubles. Fewest number of points? Do you want to guess that? Oh, go on then. That'd be fun. You can have fewest overall. You don't need to pick one from each team. That's too mean. Too mean. I don't see TFO getting many points no probably. he's not going to play much doubles either is he so those are my predictions you're always very quiet on the prediction and I have to coax them out <laughs> yeah it's because I basically... apart from Federer retiring which is the biggest one we've heard so far <laughs> yeah so you see I good. only do big um, I think Alexander Zverev is the least predictable tennis player in the world and I think he might have a bit of a I think he might love the format he's with Lendl he's had enough time with Lendl now to really focus his brain i think the noise and the atmosphere will suit him so that's most points for europe you're saying there, yes yeah? i think so so then most points for world uh, i think kevin anderson because i think kevin anderson. kevin anderson mate kevin anderson i predicted it when he beat federer at wimbledon let's not forget that live on air at love sport radio <laughs> i did i legitimately predicted that what, when he'd come back from two sets down no i no. didn't think i think he but come on no one thought he was going to beat federer in that match so yeah okay. kevin anderson he'll play at least one doubles match if jack sock is too tired he might play two okay uh, and i think he's a very good doubles player um, and he's got all the weapons, and yeah, he might, you know, he might. I think they might put him out on day two of the singles. They kind of have to. Is he not their highest ranked player, by the way? Is that not the well, boring you... selection you were booing? Oh, come me before? on, they haven't got any high ranked players. It's Team World. I could probably get a game for them if I wasn't European. 
Uh, and then lowest point scorer, uh, David, David Goffman's in really rubbish form at the moment. Like I, what he has not looked great. You hate that, don't you? I, I don't hate it. I think you know. I think Goffan, Edmund, and Dimitrov are all pretty up for potentially ending on not many points. Um, <laughs> no, not many, i.e. zero. <laughs> which would be uh, only only two players last time managed two zero points. Who were they? Francis Tiafo. <laughs> and... so, so he's got form. I didn't even realise <laughs> I was backing so. an experienced horse in that perspective. <laughs> and Denis Shapovalov, who hasn't hasn't snuck in. This I guess time. he only played. They only play. They both only play one match. Yeah, so uh, multiple matches with no points. Oh, Sam Query actually lost seven points and won zero. So I think in terms of worst play, you'd have to give it to Sam Query last year. Yeah, yeah, he's not great. No, (laughs) no, it's not. He lost two singles matches and a doubles match. Wow, and he didn't play on the first day, so they were all quite valuable. Yeah, (laughs) that's why he's been dropped this year, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't didn't get the call up. We can have a lot of fun about Labour Cup, and it is a fun format. But and we call it the Ryder Cup of tennis. Yeah. Do you think it will, in a way that maybe Grand Slams or Master One Thousands don't? Do you think it it will be able to attract people who aren't initially into tennis? Because that's the idea, right? That's our whole raison d'être in the sport is to get new fans in. Do you think Labour Cup has the ability to do that? It's a re- it's a really interesting question and one that I think it's quite hard to give it. A- an honest answer when it's it's in its infancy i i was surprised by how much i enjoyed it last year i didn't think i was going to enjoy it i didn't think anyone would actually care and i mean that from the player's perspective more than anything you know the Ryder cup i don't know how many years old the Ryder cup is lots but many and that's almost the biggest well, it probably is the biggest golf competition outside the majors you yeah. know outside the majors and even then probably I don't know the viewer figures, but I imagine that it's quite close. Or yeah. possibly the Ryder Cup's higher. I think the Ryder um, Cup will outdo in terms of viewers at least one of the majors, certainly yeah. PGA. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's quite a big challenge to kind of set for the Labour Cup to do. And, you know, realistically, I think you'd be looking in 20 years' time, we'd be able to compare to that. And, of course, there's, there's a danger it might die in five years. So it's quite hard to say it'll ever become as big as the Ryder Cup. It certainly has the potential. And, you know... Federer said last year and all the guys kind of said on Team Europe that in an individual sport they never spent any time with each other they'd say hello in the locker room and corridors but they wouldn't there was a there was a genuine kind of camaraderie or at least they were pretending very well uh, if there wasn't (laughs) and I think it is an attractive look for tennis having these kind of sofas on the court all cheering with each other all running around having two legends stood on the side coaching them uh two completely different styles of coaching um, and as I said, I expect one day that to be Federer and Nadal hmm. if they kind of go that way in the future. So it's got potential. I think it will be one or the other. I think it could die in three years or I think it could become something genuinely to be very proud of in 20. And I guess we'll just have to sit on the fence and say, watch this space. What well done. <laughs> George, has, George has occupied my space on the fence, so I can't. I think it will. I think it's perfect. I think it is the Ryder Cup of tennis and... I think it will, as you say, the images of it are very, very good for tennis. They help people just become fans of a team and they can pick their favourites and talk about their favourites. And I think that's why the Ryder Cup is successful too. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Labour Cup results, Davis Cup wildcards, and we'll look forward to the Chinese swing of the season as well. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power. 
loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.